All right. So uh, tonight we have a special speaker. I'll introduce her in a moment, but I just want to tell you, uh, next week we're starting a new series. Uh, since it's Black History Month, I'm going to do uh, a sermon on the, the history of African Americans in missions. So be sure and check that out. Uh, and then after that series is over, we're going to do a series on relationships, so be sure and check that one out. But tonight, we have a very special speaker, uh, the co-director of Chi Alpha here at Ole Miss. She, if, when I think about Courtney, I think about three things. One is she's the best discipler I know. Anybody who comes around her, their lives change because she's amazing at mentoring and, and pouring, reproducing herself into uh, women of God, and just I just love watching her girls' lives transform. Also, another, another thing is uh, she's crazy talented. You'll see tonight she can sing, she can play. Um, she's like one of those people that's like good at almost everything she does. And it, and secret is though, if she's not good at it, she doesn't do it. So, <laughs> but she'll occasionally go bowling, even though she's bad at that. Um, and the third thing. <laughs> Third thing is, uh, if you are applying for a job anytime in the future, send her your resume. She will make it sound awesome because she has, I, I, I still don't know all the jobs she's had in her life. <laughs> we'll be doing something and she will say, oh, I used to work there. I'm like, when? When you were like 12 or something? No, she's like worked almost like probably over 30 different jobs in her life. It's it's pretty crazy. So she's she's awesome and uh, she's gonna come and speak and it's gonna be amazing. Co so come on babe. He is amazing, isn't he? God, I'm talking about God. But y'all give y'all give it up. Y'all give it up for Deontay. Let's open the word tonight. We're looking at Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28. I know we don't do this all the time, but I believe that this book that we're about to read is worthy of, of double honor. So y'all hear me out. This book, we're talking about the Bible, the word of God. This book has been read by more people than any other book in human history. Do you know that? More people. It has been translated into more languages than any other book in human antiquity. It's been the number one bestseller since the invention of the printing press. 
It's not always listed as that, though, because it's not fair so that no other book would ever get the number one title. It's just not fair. It was written by 40 different authors in, in various different moods and positions of life from the dungeon to the palace in the midst of triumph or in tragedy. It was written over a 1,500-year period on three different continents and in three different languages, yet it speaks with harmony and unity on hundreds of different controversial human issues. It's unique in its survivability in that multiple governments, multiple governments over history have attempted to destroy it and eradicate it from the existence of our world. And yet it survives, and it's continually being translated even into more and more languages every single year. Voltaire claimed that it would disappear within 100 years of his life. He died in 1728. However, y'all, this is really cool. 50 years after this, after making that statement, his house was used by the Geneva Bible Society for printing Bibles. Look at God. Y'all, that just gave me chills. If the Bible was completely destroyed, completely destroyed in printed and data form, if you could just, and it's gone, it could be recreated in all of its essential parts from just the quotations from all other books on the shelf of any decent library, our Oxford City Library, public library. It could be recreated. So I believe whether you believe in this book or not, whether you believe it has some kind of holy, sacred value in your life, I believe those credentials alone are worth double honor. So let's just stand in the honor of God's word tonight. Ezekiel 1.26. Y'all, this is what's going on. Ezekiel is a prophet. He's 30 years old. He has a vision of God in heaven, and he begins explaining what he saw. That's kind of from the beginning of the of the of the chapter there. So we're skipping down to 26 when it, he starts talking about the throne room of God. Above the dome, over their heads, was something that looked like a throne made of sapphire. On the throne was a figure that looked like a human. Then I saw what he looked like from the waist up. He looked like glowing bronze with fire all around it. And from the waist down, he looked like fire. A bright light surrounded him. The brightness all around him looked like a rainbow in the clouds. It was like the Lord's glory. When I saw it, I immediately bowed down. I heard some, and I heard someone speaking. God, I pray tonight that you will make me interesting and not boring, shorter than longer-winded. I pray that the words that I'm speaking will, will be words that you're wanting me to speak. It's not coming from my heart, but straight from your heart. God, I pray that you will prepare our hearts now to hear the word that you have, that you have given for tonight. In your name I pray, everyone said. Amen. All right, y'all may be seated. So, like, I'm reading this, I'm reading this passage, and I kind of get the feeling that Ezekiel was struggling a little bit to articulate what he was seeing. So, I mean, he basically says, so, like, there's this being this like being up on a throne and it's glowing. So he's looking, he gets, he gets his vision into heaven. It's like this being on a throne and the being's glowing. So the top half was like metal when it was burning, like really bright glowing. Oh, it was on fire. Okay. And then like the bottom half, well, 
this is like fire too, you know, fire. And, uh, you know, some of our modern, modern day worship artists, I feel like they've caught this, this kind of glimpse of heaven. Like they're, they're, they're in the middle of writing their songs that God's laid on their hearts and, and they, they just can't say anything greater. It's like, it's like Pastor Charles Jenkins in Fellowship Chicago might, might sum up something in like, in like this whole section and say, our God is awesome. They're like, what? Yeah, he's awesome. And, you know, because he's awesome. Okay. And he's awesome. That's, that's the chorus right there. He is, he is just in awe. Of what could you say more than he's awesome? I mean, he's just, just that, he's just awesome. So Ezekiel is also trying to figure out how to describe something that is, like Deontay told us, indescribable. Indescribable. Like, like Kiara Sheard, you know, that, that's her song. I can just picture her. If you, uh, some of y'all have heard this song, but if you, you, know, you just you listen to this one part of the song and it's almost kind of funny, everybody's like, amazing. You, but you still but when you think the same. She probably we had this again. vision of God that he just kind of peeled back a little bit of heaven and you can hear you. it. Y'all listen to this that's in the context of that. She, she can't even describe. She can't even finish her song. She recorded. She can't you even finish recording her song. You are the Alpha and Omega. You're the beginning and the end. You are. You are. What would service be like if we walked in here as the body of Christ and all had this image of our minds of God truly sitting on the throne, the king of all kings? What would it be like in here? But we shrink God down, don't we? Look like I've done it my whole, we've done it. Church as a whole helps us do it. Like we sing this song. He's got the whole world in his hand. Y'all know that song? Got the whole world in his hand. Is, there, is the picture up there? Oh, it's hard to see. All right. Uh, he's got the whole world in his hand. And that is, that is technically true, but it's such a crazy mis- misrepresentation of what it's really like. It's more like this. All right, hold on. Let me find the one. I'm going to crunch all night long now. All right, y'all see this one right here? It's like this. It's a little like this. This one right here would be like our, our what? It would be like our what? Maybe our world. But really, this is like way too big to be the world in the palm of God's hand. So let me have a pen, somebody. Nope, nope, okay, hands. All right, if I could draw a pen, a mark small enough, this is the smallest one I can draw, right there. That little dot on this crispy right here, that is like the world in God's hand. It's not like we fill up his whole hand, 
His hand's got plenty of space left in his hand. But we shrink God down to think we, we are all that he can hold in his hand. Technically, yes, God does hold the world in his hand. But we're just one of these, a little dot. So small, our world is so small, you couldn't even see it with a microscope in God's hand. You couldn't even see it. I mean, think about this. Have you ever thought about how teeny tiny the communion cup and cracker are that we use to remember the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross for us? Like, could they make a smaller communion cracker, really? Could you make one smaller than that? The smallest pot is smaller than a shot glass, y'all. It is tiny, teeny tiny little cups. The smallest we just shrink stuff down. That's what we do. And honestly, you can't worship God. You cannot worship God when you think he's small. And we've all been guilty of it. I've been, a small view of God sounds a little bit like this. Prayers that are thrown out with no realization who you're actually talking to. Let me give you an example of how you would never speak even to another human being this way. You would never, ever speak to a human, but we do it to God all the time because we forget the magnitude. We forget how big he is. It sounds like this. Uh, Nathan, dear Nathan, Father Nathan, we, Nathan, we love you, Nathan. Nathan, I just want to, Nathan, tell you, Nathan, that, wow, when I, Nathan, think, Nathan, about you, Nathan, when... For real, y'all, I've done it, I've done it. And Nathan, uh, you know, I just, I just wanted to come, Nathan, today, Nathan, and talk to you, Nathan, about just all the, Nathan, you know, the stuff. And Nathan, you're just a good, good Nathan. You're just good, you know, just as good as good gets good, Nathan, right? We do that. It, we do it. Oh, God, Father God, we just love you, Jesus God, Father God, Lord Jesus, Father God. Do we not do that? Do you realize you are talking to the king of kings? Like, he just breathes and galaxies just pour out of his mouth. And we, we, we don't even think, we don't even think about it. We don't need, so look, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 and 2 says this. Watch your step when you go to the house of God. It is better to go there and listen than to bring sacrifices that fools bring. Fools are unaware that they are doing something evil, so don't be in a hurry to talk. Don't be eager to speak in the presence of God. Since God is in heaven and you are here on earth, limit the number of your words. Some of y'all know that. Let your words be few song, right? Limit the number of your words. How? You have to be still. You have to purposefully be quiet in worship. So we're just going to do that right now. Everybody cough on the count of three. Cough hard. One, two, three. All right, now we're going to go like 30 seconds of silence. We got the cough out of the way, okay? And this is what, this, I have a scripture up here, but can someone fix the lights so that we can actually see the PowerPoint tonight? Um, it's Psalms 147. It says, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. So I want you to close your eyes and in silence, we're just going to take a moment of silence and just kind of 
think about the magnitude of God. All right. It's hard, isn't it? This is a spiritual discipline, y'all. Meditating on the Word of God. Not meditation as a whole. Meditation on the Word of God. Psalms 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. We should wake up each morning and just take a few moments to reprogram. Like, just like Mac was talking about last week, every day we wake up back to our factory settings and we've got to reprogram. So I always like to encourage my girls or anybody that I'm, I'm, God has entrusted into my care to do their bento time that's built into your schedule time with God, not just tacking it on at the end of the day. Or, oh, I don't have anything to do. Well, I guess I'll talk to the king of kings. No, like, this is my time. Don't bother me. Don't try to, I will not answer a text. I will not answer an email. I don't care what crisis is going on. This is my time with my king, and it is a protected time. So I always encourage people to do that first thing in the morning. And if you just simply can't do it, spend a whole amount of time with God in the morning, then at least just when you wake up, turn on a worship song. They're like three to five minutes. Maybe you got 10 minutes if you love gospel music, okay? So like, Three to ten minutes, turn on a worship music, a worship song, and just meditate on God. Just do nothing else. Don't look at your text message or, or do your hair or go poop. Don't do any of that. Just meditate on the Lord for a little bit to make sure that your mind is focused on how huge he is because it's, it, we wake up thinking God is just small. Small view of God. I'm just praying they're just going up and they're just hanging out on the ceiling. I don't know. Like prayers are concrete. I don't know. It, it creates incredible arrogance in us thinking that God is small too. Well, I mean, he didn't do that for me. Or he didn't do this for me. And I asked him for that and he didn't do that for me. And I deserve that and he should have done that for me. I mean, I'm his kid. Don't I deserve him to? Or uh, why did he let this happen to me? Why is such, and I always, you know, I want to reply, do do you realize God was not created for you? Do you realize, do you realize that? We even start to judge God when our view of him is small. Okay, I'm just going to step outside my sermon for a minute and I'm crunching. Y'all listen, I'm the kind of preacher, you're going to have to interact with me. So you can, you can like, Amen. Y'all try that? All right. You can say, I'm with you. Ooh, that hurt. Ooh, stepping on toes. You can, you got your arm around your girl. You can point at me. You can nod. You can wave your hand. You can do anything to let me know you are on track with what I'm saying. And, and that if you do, I will move on in my message. 
if you don't, I am intelligent enough to repeat the same thing three or four times using different words and different analogies to make sure that the word that God gave me for you tonight is getting in. Okay, we got it. All right. We even start to judge God when we think that he's small. We say, well, if he's so loving, how come people are hungry? Why are people dying of AIDS? How come there's no one to help them? And the flip is, a big view of God (laughs) realizes that when you stand before God, he's going to say to you, if you are so loving, how could you know so many people are hungry? How could you know that all of these people are dying of AIDS, and how come you didn't help them? What did you do? So can we just, like, recalibrate for a minute? Completely recalibrate. God was not created for you. He created you. On the one little crispy and the little dot, somewhere on there is some even much smaller dot. That is you in a span of time that he exists outside of. He wasn't created for you. He wasn't created for me. He created us. And when you, honestly, y'all, most of the time, the solution to your problems, to all the problems, to all, all the problems is not to look deeper at your problems. Most of the time, it's to recalibrate your view of God and remind yourself how big God truly is. I mean, Ezekiel did this. God let him see a glimpse of heaven. He's a Bible prophet, and when he, holy Bible prophet, experiences this, he fell on his face realizing God is so big. Can't even indescribable, just fire and then fire, you know? This is the Bible, y'all. That's the best. It's like double fire something. So let me just tell you guys something God has done in my life in just these last couple of years. I uh, realized one day when I was looking in the bathroom, I had like a softball-looking thing growing out of my neck. Uh, I guess it had been there for a long time. It just... Anyway, so I go get it checked out. They biopsy it. The biopsy comes back. I have thyroid cancer. This was two years ago, right, Mac, two years ago? With the position of this is called a goiter, this growth that was growing on me. It sounds really gross. But um, they told me that it's attached to my vocal cords and that it is, that it is really likely that I, once they take this out, that I will never speak again. Y'all, I'm, I'm called, I'm called of God to preach the word of God, okay? They also told me, of course, that means singing. I love to sing. Like, there would be no more singing. There would be no more getting to praise God with my voice. They, they, <laughs> they also said, Mac and I were uh, wanting to have it, our second child, and they said, you need to stop trying to have a kid right now, and it's possible that you will never get pregnant again, because that's what cancer, that's what cancer does. 
So I believe in God for complete healing because he's just so much bigger than the word cancer and what cancer actually is. Cancer isn't even the size of a crispy, y'all, okay? So he's so much bigger than that. Believe in him for complete healing. I still don't have complete healing. I go into surgery. When I'm in recovery, I wake up. I can't, can't talk or anything, right? And the doctor comes by, and I'm all groggy, and he says, hey, I just wanted to let you know, like, when we took that out, uh, we dissected it, flash freezed it, did whatever, test on it right there. And the test said that it was cancer, but it was not cancer. When we took it out, and we dissected it, there, was, there is no trace of cancer in that. And I was like, you know, tears just start to pour down my eyes. And then he said, uh, and we had a voice technician in the room monitoring your surgery the whole time. I had to literally scrape that tumor off of your vocal cords. Scrape. I beat them up. I, I was just going to town. But he was monitoring the whole time. And uh, he said that there is absolutely no damage to your vocal cords. I cannot believe it, but there was no damage. So I'm just like in there just crying. Yeah, come on. Y'all, I was just crying. My family thought I was hurting. They're like calling for morphine and stuff. And I'm like, sing songs, sing songs. And they started singing this little light of mine. <laughs> I was like trying to communicate. No, I, they knew I had been healed. They just couldn't. I, I, God healed me. Like at the literally last second saw that he healed me, and I have the report that says I have cancer, and I have the report that says, no, the report, something happened between there and here. I'm like, uh-huh, my big old God happened between there and here, okay. Y'all, this is not the first time that God has healed me from cancer. This is the second time. I am 33, and this is the second time that God has healed me from cancer, complete healing. And let me tell you, when I walk into a worship service, I'm going to sing. And, and I'm going to sing loud. I don't know if any of y'all have stood beside me during a worship service, but I'm going to sing. They've got my mic turned on. I'm going to sing loud. And I just don't care. People want me to sing quieter. They want me to move less. They want me to dance less. They want me just to sit still, praise less. But I don't care. Y'all, <laughs> I was created by God, for God, and I'm going to praise God extravagantly. I don't care what the other people have to say, okay? So let me just, have you guys ever looked out in a worship service and you're like, you see somebody doing something and you're like, wow. They're doing too much. Mm-hmm. Y'all laughing because you, uh-huh. Man, they are showing out. Look, they got this whole church. Why are they up in the front, in the center doing that? Why can't they go to the back or get in the aisle or something? You've had the thought, right? <laughs> but let me just, we're just basically judging people. Let's just be real. That's what that is. You're just judging people, judging what they're doing in worship. And I just want to tell you right now, you need to reel that mess in all the stinking way. Reel it in because you don't know. You don't know what God did in their life. You did not experience the miracle when God 
when they went into the accounting and then found out their bursar was, com- was just paid completely in full. I have no idea where that money came from. <laughs> you weren't there when he set them free from their addictions. You were eating Taco Bell. When God literally saved, reached down and saved their life from a suicide attempt. You literally were not born yet when the man that sexually assaulted me was found and removed out of my life. And in the midst of my sin, you weren't there. The night Jesus found me, and you did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me, and you don't know the cost. You just don't know the cost of my praise. So I want to urge you, Reserve the instinct to judge and maybe instead in a worship service begin to reflect on how huge God has been in your life and even respond accordingly. If that's something you can do, y'all just say, hey, I can do that. Okay, so look, I'm just, honestly, most of the stuff that you've seen people do in worship is completely biblical. Almost all of the things. I have a chart up here. By the end of it, take a picture if you're questioning it. It has scriptures backing up all the stuff. But we're just going to do some of these things together. Okay? So the first one is to speak in worship. To speak. Okay? So on the count of three, I want everyone to speak one thing out loud that you are thankful for. To God. You are thankful to God for this one thing. Here we go. One, two, three. Okay. I guess I could have started with whisper. I guess I could have started. Okay. We're going to try this one more time. And instead of being like, okay, we're going to like speak out loud like a normal talking voice. You don't have to scream it. We're going to get there. But speak out loud. Okay. So here we Same word. One more time. One, two, three. Okay. All right. Most of us got the speak down. All right. It also says shout in the Bible. So we give God a shout of praise. Everybody try it. Give God a shout of praise. All right, all right. Okay, this one says bow down. Ready, go. Nope, all the way. Bow down. How would you bow down to the king of kings? Come on. That's right. Push those chairs. Push those chairs. All right, almost everybody. All right, the next one says walk and jump. We got this. You seen this in worship? You seen people walking? No one saw. All right, the next one says dance. Dance. Get your praise on. Dance for Jesus. Clap your hands. And if there was music on, there would be some rhythm with that. All right. Uh, lifting your hands, however however the lifting your hands works. We got all different kinds of lift your hands. This one says, lay on your face. 
Somebody going to have some crispies on their face up here. This is what Ezekiel did. He just fell on his face. All right. All right, y'all can stand up. Sit down. It also says play instruments, sing, run. Everything you have seen in church for the most part is biblical. But here's, here's what happens. Here's what happens regarding worship. Every time I teach on worship or talk about worship, there are just people that are resistant to worship. And maybe they're just seasons. And all, but here, let me just talk through some of these things. Here's, here's one resistance thing I've heard. Well, you know, first-time guests or people that don't understand, like, this style of worship or unbelievers, they're going to be confused. They're going to be confused when they come to service and they see me doing one of these things in worship. And it is just like Satan to make that perversion in our lives, in our minds. It's just like him because the exact opposite is true. So y'all think about this. What is, what's really confused? They are confused. They are confused. Because they come to hear and learn about this God that you talk all about, who you chose to live your life for, and they come to the service actually named worship service. Okay? It's named that. Full, knowing full well that this is a bunch of people that follow this God that you live your life for that are coming together to do this thing called worship at worship service and they're confused when they walk in because they see you acting really casual about it they're thinking if you truly believe this you truly believe that there's like this being that really creates actually created everything galaxies just by speaking come out of his mouth like I think you're crazy but you actually believe that stuff and you like live your life by it and you talk about it all the time so much that he actually has sent his own son to die on the cross for you the most gruesome death he could ever have died he, he you believe this now why are you so casual about worshiping him why do you act so casual? Why do you give so casually? Why do you live your life so casually? Why are you so cool? Now, for real, I'm asking this question. Ask yourself, why am I so casual in worshiping him? G God, Jesus, Lord, Savior, King of Kings, Great I Am, Alpha and Omega. Why are you so casual? with him. Why am I so casual? It's hard prepping this kind of sermon because you got to go through these questions for like weeks and God just wrecks you. So I want y'all to know I'm in the same. Why am I so casual regarding God? Here's something else I just a thought I had. In Chi Alpha, we fight. We fight for racial unity beyond the point of comfort. Y'all say that we fight for racial unity beyond the point of comfort. How is it, like this is very unique for us, okay? How is it that it's easier to fight for racial unity, uncomfortably so, at a 
university charged with racial injustices than it is to just get a little comfortable in the presence of God. To get a little more uncomfortable, let me say it that way, in the presence of God. Especially when we gather, y'all come here for the distinct purpose of worshiping God. It's so funny. But we come in and we're so casual about it. Like, yeah, I'm going to worship service so I can just stand there. Or, I, you know, I'm going to go to worship service so I can just sway back and forth and think about what my class is and... Oh, she did mention Taco Bell, so I mean, come on. That's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. Okay, so, so here's another one. One of these resistance to worship things I hear. You know, I just really want to be authentic, and I just don't feel like worshiping tonight. I've just had a bad day, or it's my time of the month, or my girlfriend broke up with me, or I just, I'm sick, or what, whatever. Somebody hurt my feelings. God <laughs> deserves your praise, whether or not you feel like giving it to him. He created you for himself, <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, he deserves it. You choose not to give it to him. The Bible actually says rocks will cry out in worship in your place. I don't want no rock out there somewhere crying out because, well, uh, well, this is my Courtney rock. She's really working out her voice because that one just, you know, like, I don't. where's that rock? Where's the rock that cries out in my place? I'd like to see how strong. Is that like a boulder? Is this like a pebble? I want a pebble. When God thinks about the rock that cries in my place, it needs to be a small rock that is weak, that is dying, because I am going to worship. You always begin relationships, like dating relationships. Think about it this way. You, you begin relationships with your actions following your feelings. Oh, just, you know the girls. You know, the, you know your friends. They just cannot stop talking about, oh, I just have to, oh, I need to plan a date. Oh, I can't wait to hang out with them. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you always begin them that way. And as relationships grow and mature, your feelings follow your actions. You choose to remain committed to your spouse. You, you're, you're, you choose to do those things. Not You don't feel like it. Mac even mentioned this last week. I don't, we actually really love each other. We're getting along really well. I don't know why two weeks in a row we mentioned this. You don't, <laughs> you, don't, you don't always feel like it. You don't wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning thinking, I love that my husband is still sleeping when the baby is up crying, and I've been up the last four times that she's up crying. That's not how it is. It's like, okay, you just go on to sleep then. I'll just get a, I'll go again. <laughs> I'll go again. Okay, you, you're... <laughs> It may begin that way, but at, a mature relationship with God doesn't look like that, okay? If you have not accepted Christ to be the person that you're transferring all the trust from yourself, all of your life over to him, then yes, we can expect God to sweep us off our feet, and I will respond because of that. But you've been following Jesus. You've known him a little bit more than a day then uh, your actions come first and your feelings follow. 
It's unreal when you choose to stick your hands up in surrender and worship Jesus even when you don't want to. Within just a couple of minutes, you just can't stop crying. You just can't stop praying in the Spirit. You just can't stop. You just can't stop because that act of surrender opens you up to worshiping God in a way that even you didn't want to. And it doesn't matter. He deserves it. Okay, I'm, say, say I'm, I'm moving on. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I'm moving on. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's the last, here's, here's another one of these resistance. Um, that's not really how we do things in my church. Or uh, honestly, <laughs> I hear what you're saying, but like that's not how my people do it. And I just hear God leaning in and saying, whose church? Like, like, whose people? Because I'm pretty sure that I said that if my people were called by my name, if they would humble themselves. This is not how my church wants to do it. It's not how my people do it. This is about worshiping God. You guys all know the most segregated time of the week is Sunday morning. The most segregated stuff on our campus is campus ministries. Mostly, I mean, let's just be real, okay? Let's be real. So we, we've got to stop viewing certain postures of worship as as cultural things. This, this is not a, oh, well, this culture does this, and this culture does that. It's not like that. Yes, church has made it that way. Well, this is my church, and this is my church, and this is what we do in my church, and this, we have done that. Our minds do that to us as well. We have to realize all of these postures are biblical responses to God. Humble yourself. It's much better to humble yourself then it, it is much better to hear a word that someone says, humble yourself, and you don't want to, but you do it anyway. You just choose to be humble rather than God humbling you. I had some God humbling me moments last week. It is better to humble yourself than for God to humble you. Here's the last resistance to worship I, that I, that I, I mean, there's lots, but here's, the, uh, uh. it's just not my personality. Right? That's just, that's just, I'm just more, it's just not my personality. So here's how I'm going to respond to that resistance. So my favorite story of worship in the Bible is in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to start at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, y'all, a Pharisee is like the person that probably knows more of the Bible than anyone in the day. Like, they probably had the majority of it memorized. And they always kind of viewed themselves better than everyone else. And in the Bible, I think they're mentioned 90-something times, always as an antagonist to the main character of the story, which is Jesus. They're always opposing him, always, you know, we're better than you, without realizing he's the king. They did not humble themselves. All right, so this is a Pharisee. Uh, Jesus, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. It is super expensive. It's the most expensive thing that she owns. Alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, where no one else could hear him, right, y'all? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. So Jesus answered him out loud, like where everybody could hear, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Mm-hmm. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debts forgiven. I mean, that's how Pharisees talk in my mind. You have judged correctly. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with, my, with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume, the most expensive thing she has, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus turned to her and said, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus is saying, yeah, she gets it. She gets it. She knows all the junk in her life. She knows I'm about to die for her on the cross for her sins, and she understands it. And maybe you're not worshiping me or coming to me because you're thinking you're a pretty good person. You're thinking, I'm actually a really good person anyway. I mean, I don't have that much to be forgiven for. The cross, it's nice. It's nice. Is it up here? That's nice nice that you did that. I mean, that'll get rid of my little sins that I did. But this woman isn't like that. She's not thinking like that. She's saying, no, I know what I've done in my life. And I'm blown away that you, the son of God, would die for me. I can't control myself. I can't stop kissing your feet. I just took the most valuable thing I have in my life. I poured it on your feet. What else can I do? How else can I humble myself? How else can I even humiliate myself even more? Because I have to show you I'm crazy about you. I love you. I'm willing to be crazy for you. And I love this. Because every time I read this, I think, who is it that I resemble in this story? Honestly, do I resemble the powerful, mighty Pharisee sitting at the table, talking with Jesus, discussing things? Oh, yeah, that was a nice miracle you did there. Tell me about this passage in the Old Testament. What does that mean? Let's have a real theological discussion about that. Is that my approach? Or am I like the woman who's just like, no way! Y'all, that is 
that is Jesus. I'm just falling at my feet, doing anything. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. And I struggle sometimes because I think I'm just keeping it cool. Especially in like pastoral circles. You know you sit around and have the theological. I'm just keeping it cool. Too reserved. Or some of us would just say, well, that is just not my personality. If Jesus literally walked into this room, the Son of God in the flesh walked into this room. I try to think about all of us in here, everyone in this ministry, not just students, staff, all of us. Who would be the ones that would not care? They don't care about their image. They don't care about what anybody else thinks. They don't care. They're not self-conscious. They're just God-conscious, like all thinking about God all the time. And they're just like... No way! That's Jesus! They're just running up to the stage, running in there, bawling, kissing his feet, saying, I'll do anything, anything I have. They're just dumping all their credit cards and money, everything they have, they're just dumping it. I can't believe that it's you. Who would be doing that? And who would be sitting back saying, they are acting foolish. How embarrassing. I mean, look at her. Look at him. Do you see how much money they just poured out? That like, that's like a whole semester's tuition right there. That was probably their, their semester, their whatever. Judging them. You know, God says, you know, we are, we're, that was like all of their money. We're supposed to be prudent. We're supposed to be good manager of our, managers of our money. But who would be the woman? I don't care what y'all think about me. All I care about is what God thinks, and I'm crazy about him. And I'm going to act crazy because I am crazy about him. We're going to wrap things up a little differently tonight, um, as Mac mentioned. So not right now, but in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, um, Jordan back there is going to figure out how to get these lights off. So I'm going to pray. We're going to turn off the lights. And what I want you to do is collapse your chairs and all the empty chairs around you. Fold up your chairs or... You're going to go stick them all around the edges of the room. So not right now. Not right now. Y'all wait. Don't pack up your book bags yet. I'm going to pray. We're going to collapse our chairs. And then we're going to worship. Because that's why we're here anyway, isn't it? That's why you came. So here's, we're going to put, can you put the chart back up there? I want you to look at the chart. And tonight, during worship, we are going to do like a whole worship set, just like we usually do at the beginning. It's going to go kind of slow to fast here. But um, I want you to pick a couple of things from the chart that you've just never done before. And just humble yourself and worship God in a way you've, that is biblical, that you've just not tried before. So we're putting up the chairs I want to encourage you to spread out all over the room. Don't stand by people that you're trying to impress because that's going to really defeat the whole purpose of this, okay? Well, you know, guys, ladies, if, if you came with them and they move away from you, well, it's an indicator. All right. Choose to do some kind of biblical postures that you haven't done before that will ensure you're not the Pharisee sitting at the table just judging. Ooh, look at her. Ooh, what are they doing over? I'm just going to sit back. I'm just going to sit here and watch. 
And this is, this is much easier to do when it's a group commitment. Like a whole group of people choosing to worship God, choosing to be crazy about the one that was crazy enough to die for sins that we, I don't deserve that. And this isn't just a shift I'm asking us to make for tonight, but this is, a, this is like a shift I, wanna, I want us to make forever in Chi Alpha. I'm not talking about the order of service. I'm talking about our culture of worship. So I want you guys, I'm going to ask you guys, help me shift the culture of our worship to be the, the person that just can't love him enough, just can't be crazy about him enough from maybe the Pharisee sitting at the table. That when we say that we come here to worship our God, we walk in the door recalibrating how big God is. Because it's easy to worship when you realize how big he is. It's easy to worship when you think of all the things that he's done in your life. It's easy to worship when you think about where would I be had it not been for him. Let's pray. Yeah, let's everybody stand up. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna do the chairs. Oh God. You're just too awesome. There are no words to describe the magnitude of who you are, of what you've done. There's no amount of times I could say thank you to you. God, reveal yourself to us in a way tonight that we are unfamiliar with, that we would be able to experience worshiping you in a new way because we are noticing that you are bigger in our lives than now than you've ever been, and that as our relationships grow with you, <laughs> that we would, be, we would become mature. And even if we don't feel like it, we're going to worship you anyway because you deserve it. We don't deserve for you to do things for us, but you deserve everything from us. God, so tonight, I pray that you will inhabit the praises of your people here, that you would inhabit our praises, that we, tonight would be the night that, that things are broken in the spirit, chains are broken, people are set free, people are healed, people are delivered. Somebody's, somebody receives financial blessing. God, that tonight, our praise will pave the way that you will inhabit the praises of your people in this place tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Y'all just collapse your chairs right now. Move them all over to the edge. All your stuff, too. Move all your stuff, too.